Hi, this is Blake Andrews, lead pastor at Victory World Outreach Denton, Texas. This is our podcast, and we're so glad that you came to check it out today. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to do great things for God. Right into the Word, I'm excited about the Word that God has given me. This is going to continue in our series. Somebody shout out to me on Wednesday night what our, what our series is. Some Discipleship, be one, make one. Amen. So tonight I want to talk about a question that is a humongous question. And this is a question that a lot of times you'll run into as you're sharing your faith with people. Uh, you might have heard somebody say this or you might have thought it yourself. Does the Bible contradict itself? How many have ever heard that question? How many have ever had that question? You might have read something. You might have thought, that, that said this over here and that said that over there and I'm not sure about this. And so I want to answer that question tonight. And I, I believe this is going to be an awesome message for notes. And I'm gonna, it's going to be a little bit fun too because I'm going to do something that's going to really uh, break it down and really show you uh, what the Bible wants to teach us about this because this is important. This is really, really important to understand that people believe this. Now, what bothers me and worries me, I should say, is I've been reading just this week about uh, people that are, that are falling away from the faith. And, and the Bible says that this would happen more frequently in the end times. Uh, there's a word called apostasy, where people would leave the faith, where they would walk away from the truth. And, and we're seeing that a lot, and that's why we're doing these teachings about discipleship, to find out if we're in the faith. The Bible says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, right? And so, for example, I, I don't know this pastor, but he's a prominent pastor. I'm not even going to say his name. I didn't know his name. You probably wouldn't know his name, but he is a, a large mega church pastor of a, lar- of a large congregation. And he just quit his church, left his wife, and went, went, said, I don't believe in God anymore. Can you imagine if I got up someday and said, listen, uh, we're closing the church. I don't believe in God anymore. Everything I've been preaching is a lie. Blah, 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 and just say, oh, it, it would shock you, right? I mean, this pastor just walked away from his church with thousands of followers. A Hillsong worship leader, that's not quite as surprising, but a Hillsong worship leader uh, just denounced his faith, said that he, he, he said, there's, and here's what he said, he said, there's too many contradictions in the Bible. And so what I believe is, here's what I believe. I believe that when people say those things and when people make those decisions, it's because they're not really reading the Bible, and they're not really studying the Bible, and they're not really understanding how to use the Bible. And I don't have this verse in there tonight, but this is really important. We've been talking about this. Uh, it's not on the screen, but 1 Timothy 2.15 says, We should study to show ourselves, what? Approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Knowing how to rightfully divide the word of truth. I'm going to say something real quick that, that you need to think about as we move into this to kind of ask yourself, where am I at in my walk, in my faith? Uh, I've been saying for a long time that our generation is an illiterate generation when it comes to the Bible. I don't say that mean. I just say that as truth. And, and I could go a different direction tonight with technology and tell you that, and I do want to take 30 seconds on this, continue to be careful with what you watch Continue to be careful with what you look at. Continue to be careful how much that phone dominates your life, okay? Because we're, we're, getting, we're getting away from, from some reality a lot of times in our lives, and things are, that, that, that technology, as much of a blessing as it is, it can be a curse, okay? And, and we're, we're seeing a, a kind of a, 
I don't want to take too much time, and I'm going to maybe preach that in another message. But we're getting away from grabbing our Bible and reading it. Now, I'm totally cool with having the verses on the, on the screen, and I think we need that. But let me explain to you real quick. Let me say this real quick, and I had no plans to say this. You know why the verses are on the screen? For somebody who's new and does not know the Lord and doesn't have a Bible. Not for people to, not, to be lazy and not bring their Bible to church. Not for people to just sit back and, and look at it. We, we should, and listen, if you have your phone, your tablet, what, I'm not going to get into to that, but it, here's the thing. Let me say this real quick. Again, I didn't have plans for this. When you have your phone, and I did just hear this. I had no plans on saying this. Holy Spirit's taking me a different direction. When you have your phone, there was actually a study, and this was done in sports, uh, at meetings, when you have your phone around you, you are less apt to pay attention to what is being said. Now, if you have your phone in here tonight, don't shut me off, please. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just telling you to think about something. They said if it's in your hand, you're less apt to learn. If it's in your pocket, there's a certain amount of learning. If it's f- further away from you, you get more learning. If it's not in the room, you get the most learning. Think about tonight if you have your phone or tablet, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not, re, not rebuking you. you. If you don't have that thing on airplane mode, guess what's going to happen while you're looking for your scriptures? A text is going to come in. An email is going to come in. Something's going to come in, and you're going to lose your train of thought. Am I speaking to human beings here? I had no plans to do this. I'm just, I'm just listening to the Holy Spirit. That's the problem with having your phone. A good old-fashioned Bible is not going to give you a notification. A good old-fashioned Bible is not going to detour you off to something else. And so I want you to think about that going forward. We should have a notebook. We should have a Bible. We should, if you want to use a notepad or a tablet, that's fine. But you should be taking notes, not doing something else. Because this is the moment to to give your undivided attention to the Lord for a few minutes. And really pay attention. So, again, if if you've been bringing your phone, please don't take me wrong. Know my heart tonight of what I'm trying to tell you. You're going to have a better understanding if you'll grab that Bible, grab that notebook, or at least put your phone on airplane mode so that things won't pop up at you. Okay, and you'll be less distracted. That was totally the Holy Spirit. I had no plans on, uh, on doing that. But here's the reason why I say that. Here's why we're illiterate biblically. Because we don't study the word. Because we don't read the word. The reason people fall away is because they don't know what they believe. And there's a poll. I've said this before. Did you know that a lot of Christians cannot quote or cannot say the names of the four gospels? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I would never do that to embarrass you tonight. I would never point you out. But you answer yourself the question, do you know the names of the four gospels in the Bible? Think about that for a second. It, let me ask you this question. Do you know half of the Ten Commandments? You answer that self your question. That question, you answer yourself. Do you know how many books are in the Bible? You answer that, that question to yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm only asking these things because those are very simple questions. They're very simple things. And the stat shows from the Barna stat that 71% of Christians don't even know half of the Ten Commandments. of Christians don't know the names of the four Gospels. So I'm just saying that because we, we, we cannot be those people, church. We've got to study the Word. We cannot be going out and saying, Jesus changed my life, and that's all I know. 
I've got to know the Bible. And this is going to help you tonight. So I promise you it's going to be good because it's going to help you just get an understanding so that you don't be that person that falls away because it, the world's pulling on us. Now, we're talking about contradictions. Let me give you an example of what that means. One gospel, and we're going to talk specifically about the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just in case you didn't know those four. Hopefully you did. Please, Lord, help us know that tonight. And if you don't, hopefully you just got saved. In those four gospels, there will be people that will say, well, one gospel says in Mark chapter 5, for example, there was, there was a demoniac. It was a, 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 a person filled with a demon. And then Matthew will tell a story where there's two demoniacs. And so they'll say that's a contradiction of Scripture. One thing says two demoniacs, one thing says one. How many are with me so far? Here's another one. How many have ever heard the story of the 5,000? There's also a story in the Gospels of 4,000. How many know that one place at the tomb, the Bible says there was an angel, and then another Gospel says there was two angels? Right? How many got me on those three examples? Just, just to kind of throw that out. Now, I'm going to give you a couple scriptures that are real important. Then I'm going to do something fun to teach you how to understand why and how the Bible was written. Let's put up that scripture out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, watch this, not as the word of men. That is very important in our faith, church. We've got to understand that we're not holding a Bible in our hands written, written spiritually, yes, literally, yes, physically, but not spiritually by man. It was written by God. Not as the word of men, but as in truth, the word of God. The word of God, watch this, which also effectively works in you who believe. Okay, powerful scripture. It says this is not of men, it's of God. Here's what Psalm says, verse 12, chapter, sorry, 12, chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. That's the Bible that you hold in your hands. That's the word that you're reading. It is, is pure words. It is like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Okay, so how many, how many understand tonight how important it is to realize that this Bible we're holding in our hands is not men's words, but God's words? And what I want to do is, this example is what I did today, and this was, I've never done this before, but I'm excited about it. Holy Spirit led me today to send out a text to six people. And what I did is I said in this text to six people, and I'm going to kind of go over this for the rest of the message and kind of show you how this works. What I did was I said I asked five questions to six different people. And why I'm going to do this is you've got to realize the Gospels and the Bible were written inspired by the Holy Spirit but through men. And they wrote those words as the Holy Spirit led them, and they were giving an account also of what they saw. How many know when you see something... For example, an accident, an accident happens and two cars hit. You know for sure that in that accident, it was two cars and there was, a, there was a collision, but you might not remember what color the car was. You might not remember exactly how, how many have ever seen an accident? Me and uh, Carla saw one the other day and you just can't figure out how in the world the cars got like that. Like it makes no sense how they're facing and all that. 
when something happens, people have different angles. People have different uh, thoughts on it, but it's still the same accident. God in the Gospels especially allowed these men, think about this for a second, the contradictions of the Bible don't take away from the truth, they actually confirm it. When I say contradictions in quotes, quotations, I mean what they call contradictions. How valid would it be if, I, if, if we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and they were verbatim word for word? How accurate would that be? How would some, it would be less believable if all four people said the exact same things in an accident report. Because that means they would have to be together, and they would have to be listening, and they'd have to be writing down what the other person said, and they would say exactly word for word what happened, and that would not be true testimony. Are you with me? So I sent this text out and asked them five questions, which we're going to go over uh, in, in just a minute. But I want, I want us to think about this because... Another humongous error that people make is they don't have the whole word of God. What's called the full gospel, the word of truth. What we'll do is we don't understand that someone might say, well, I was reading in John, and as I was reading John, uh, a scripture said something about uh, something else, and I couldn't find that scripture anywhere else in John or the answer to that question. I looked over in Matthew, and I saw a piece of it, but I didn't really see the answer there. You know why you don't see the answer totally there? Because the full picture has a part over in Isaiah. The full picture of that has a a part over in Genesis. When God finished the word in Revelation and said amen and said don't add or take away from this book, it was done and it was written perfectly to where Words in Revelation would confirm words in Matthew that confirm words in Hosea that confirm words in Jeremiah that confirms word in 1 Samuel that confirms word in Deuteronomy and Exodus and it goes all throughout the Bible like a silver lining and you don't get the answer unless you take the whole word of God, the full counsel of God. And, and that's what becomes exciting is as you're putting that piece of the puzzle together or you're putting a puzzle together, all of a sudden you find that piece. How many have ever done a puzzle before? Maybe it's been a while. But when you find that piece you've been looking for for a long time, it's exciting. You're like, there it is. And sometimes it was right in front of you. Okay, so watch this. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to decide what I want to do first here. If I want to read uh, something else. First, let me do this. Let me make this explanation first before I do our homework here in our church, what I did with these texts. So the four Gospels are written, right? We know that, how many know if you take those four Gospels out, you lose everything? The four Gospels are fundamental. Not that everything else isn't, but you have to have those four Gospels. They're key and fundamental to our faith. Everything about our salvation complete is in those Gospels. Here's an interesting thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote from different angles, all wrote from different cultures, all wrote from different thoughts. And here's an interesting thing people don't understand, because this clicked in my spirit as soon as I read this, this person say that he said even the Gospels contradict themselves. And I immediately in my spirit said, no, they don't. Immediately, and I mean immediately began to think of the fact of how God placed those four Gospels a certain way. Did you know, I'm going to teach you something tonight that probably most of you do not know. Each gospel was written to different people. And you would know that if you've been in this church very long because we've done teaching on it. This is where you start seeing how the word of God comes alive. 
Matthew was writing to a certain people. Mark was writing to a certain people. Luke was writing to a certain people. John was writing to a certain people. The gospel of truth and story here split in four different ways to four different people. Let me explain what that means. The gospel of Matthew, for example. How many know the Bible? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and to all the ends of the earth, disciple and teach them all these things that I've commanded you. We've been going over that in this discipleship thing. So first and foremost, Jesus had to make sure that the gospel was preached to his people, the who? The Jews. Okay? The Jews. The Israelites is another way to say it. He had to make sure the gospel was preached to him. How many remember when Paul said, maybe you don't know this scripture, but it might ring a bell, I've become all things to all people that I might win some. How many know that you get around certain people, and, and this is what we've talked about before, and we're talking about making one, being one, and making one. How many know that I have a certain people uh, that I can reach that you can't reach? There's a certain people that you can reach that I can't reach. That goes into the lingo, that goes into culture, that goes into background, that goes into how you were raised, that goes into all kinds of things. There's a, it doesn't mean I can't reach anybody, but what it means is that I have an opportunity that God has given me a background to speak into certain people's lives, and I speak their language. So Matthew was written to the Jews. Matthew was written to the Jews. So sometimes when we're reading the book of Matthew, some of the things that are said there seem like they're above our heads because they might be because we don't understand all the things that the Jews had to understand. So he's speaking deep religious words to his people. Mark spoke to the Romans. Romans, in that time when the Bible was written, and this is still valid today, were leaders and they had leaders and leadership and the word power. They, they wanted to, they, Romans were about power. And so the way Mark wrote was to, the, to that kind of person, maybe what you'd think today, it, for example, he, he uses the, the word 1,375 times power in the book of Mark. And it ties together, kind of like today, successful businessmen and women would be that lingo. Mark. Then Luke Listen to this. Luke was a Greek speaking to Greek people. So he was coming from the angle of speaking to the Greeks. And the Greeks loved culture and beauty and ideas. And so he wrote in that way with details that would, that would talk about interviews and, and things that would prick their minds. So as you see the gospel being written, the gospels, God is attacking every person with a way that they can relate. John was written to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John says, listen, you may not have a background. You may not have a culture. I'm speaking to you. How many just followed what I just said? Matthew wrote to a group. Mark wrote to a group. Luke wrote to a group. John wrote to a group. Here's an understanding you might grab if you've been in this church very long and you've heard the teachings we've done on end times. Where do people make their errors when they talk about end times? with tribulation and pre-tribulation and post-tribulation and, and the second coming of Christ and the rapture, if they're reading Matthew, who's Jesus talking to in Matthew? Who's he talking to? I said it earlier. So you don't read Matthew when he's talking about the end times as if it's for us because we're not the Jews. So the light bulb just went on in someone's head. I saw it pop. I saw it come on. 
Now, let me break this down to us in case you're not following me tonight yet. I sent a text to six people. I asked them these questions. And I'm going to try to read them kind of in order. And listen, no wrong or right answers, but you're going to, hopefully you're going to get an understanding of what I'm trying to teach you here tonight. I said, what was I wearing Sunday morning? That was the first question. What was I wearing Sunday morning? Number two, what did I preach about? Number three, how many people came forward and got saved? Now, all the people that I sent this text to are, are, are ministry teams, so they're in both services. Or they're here for both services. Number, th- that was three. Number four, how was the attendance overall? Now, notice with these questions, some of them are very general. I didn't say exactly how many people were at church. I said, how was the attendance overall? Number five, how was the overall spirit and atmosphere? Okay? So all six of the people I sent a text to were here. And all six of the people gave their answers, and pretty quickly, within probably a half an hour, they all responded. So I'm going to read. Now, I don't have their names here. I did this on purpose. I got the text. I shared it to my email, and I did not put the names. So as I'm reading this, I don't have names here, so I'm not going to say who's who. Do you all want to know who the six people are? Good, because I wasn't going to tell you anyways. So back to number one. I'm going to read the, five, the, the, five, the six answers, okay? Pay attention to this. Number one, what was I wearing Sunday morning? I'm just going in order. I can't remember. I honestly don't remember, LOL. Gray suit. Gray sport coat. You were wearing a beige suit, coat, black slacks, black shirt shoes, purple tie. Not sure about the shirt. Pretty sure you wore black. Okay, so those were the answers. Were they all here? Are they all wrong? They were all here. That was their interpretation of what they saw, of what they remembered. Now, if this first one isn't really important because what I was wearing doesn't have anything to do really with the importance of the service. It was just a question. I was wearing all black. I had to think myself what I was wearing. So I was like, how are these people remembering? But I was wearing all black suit. And a lot of times I do wear gray, but I wasn't wearing gray. And I was wearing a pink shirt with kind of a, kind of a purplish tie. But I asked that, and so that, that doesn't matter what I was wearing. And I kind of liked that a lot of people didn't really remember because that means they were focused on something else. But see what I'm saying? They were all here, but everybody, maybe, maybe in those answers, maybe some put more emphasis on clothes. Maybe some don't. Maybe some put more emphasis on details. Maybe some don't. But all six of them were here. Question number two. What did I preach about? Number one. Life is short, tomorrow's not promised, and the importance of redeeming the time because our countdown is ticking. Answer number two, continuing discipleship message. Answer number three, about 30 minutes, blessed hope. Answer number four, um, countdown began at birth and is still ticking. We never know when it will end. Number five, you preached on the continuance of discipleship, be one, make one. Number six, you preached about knowing where you were going when you die, being a disciple, and loving for Jesus. You told us that time was short, and once the start clock starts, it's on its way to being over. And if our, and if our la- first and last breath was for Jesus, so should every breath in between also be for him. Listen to all the answers. Out of that second answer, didn't we get an answer? 
we got what I preached about. If you weren't here Sunday, you just, you just got a pretty good description of what we preached about Sunday. But notice that some were very short answers. Some were others were more detailed. Some came from this angle. Another came from this angle. But what, that's exactly how the Gospels were written. It's exactly how it was being written. Paul, uh, sorry, Mark was saying, this is what I saw. And this is what I thought it was important. For example, going back to the story of two demoniacs, he's thinking, man, the guy with the legion of demons was really demonic, really filled with de- demons. So he was, that's all I saw. He didn't notice the other demoniac there because he was focused on the dude who, who they couldn't tie down and was slothing, uh, 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 spitting at the mouth and, 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 and he was crazy, he was cutting himself. So his, 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 that's what he was focused on. And somebody else in the Gospels saw another demoniac there because he, he was probably more, more detail-oriented. How many are seeing the picture I'm trying to paint? Question number three. How many people came forward and got saved? I remember a Hispanic guy came for rededication and a young, and a young couple at 11 a.m. The 9 a.m., the girl that used, used to go to our church years ago and her friend, then I think there were a couple more I can't remember. Second answer. Uh, in the first message I was able to sit in, I believe it was four. Third answer, about ten. Now that's probably p- putting them both together. But see, they're right there. there there's all, all answers. Some went to one service and then gave description of the second. Some put them together. The third, uh, fourth answer, first service had, or sorry, uh, first service eight people, second service five. We're hearing different numbers. Are y'all here? We're hearing different numbers. So does, that, does the numbers matter as much as the fact that people got saved? What's the emphasis on that question? People got saved. Some saw five, some saw eight, some saw three, but that doesn't take away from the fact people got saved. Now, if somebody would have said nobody got saved, that would be a contradiction. See, I was starting to catch on. Nobody got saved. I'd have had to say, where were you? What service were you at? But that would be a contradiction, right? No one said that, thank God. And then uh, another one, five or six people got saved the first service, two or three the second service. Last one, never got the actual number, maybe five to six. So we had anywhere from five to 12. But people got saved. Okay? Number four, how was the attendance overall? Now think about this. Is how was the attendance overall? I did not say how many people did we have. So it wasn't a specific number we're looking for. It was what's the description of the, of the was, it, was it good? Was it bad? Was it a lot? Was it a little? That was the question that someone might answer. And then here's a question, too, that's interesting. As you hear the question, maybe as you hear the question, you hear the question different than somebody else. Okay? But we're still talking about this service. We're still talking about Sunday morning. We're still talking about how the service went. All these questions and answers are from the same people at the same place, but we get different answers. The uh, first one, really good at 9 a.m. and good at 11 a.m. Attendance was great. Attendance was decent, but not the best. First service had biggest attendance, I remember. More than second service even. Second service had a lot of people too. Not sure about the attendance. See, that doesn't mean there wasn't people here. It just means that wasn't important to them. Okay? 
I think the attendance overall was pretty good for both services. So I'm doing all this to get us to understand these angles and thoughts. Last one. Number five. How was the overall spirit and atmosphere? I feel like the spirit of the service is always there. Just depends on how focused I am and in the spirit. But it was good for me. I've missed a lot of Sundays. Number two, Holy Spirit moved. Number three, spirit and atmosphere was awesome. Number four, everyone was somber but attentive, thinking of how they can or need to make a difference before the end. Altar call was strong. Number five, first service was definitely more excited than the second service, but the spirit and atmosphere was phenomenal. Number five of the last one, the overall spirit and atmosphere was definitely Jesus-filled, and I felt like the Holy Spirit fell in that place, and many lives were touched. So, so see how that picture comes alive from all different people, and how many saw there that all of them were in the same line and going the same direction. Nobody was off in left field with the answers. That's how the Gospels were written. And I wanted to give you that picture for you to see that, that it's not a contradiction because I say there was five people and someone else said there was three. It's not a contradiction because I said that the service was great and somebody else said the service was good. It's not a contradiction that I said there was ten people saved and someone else said there was a lot of people saved. That's how the gospel was written. And people will take those kind of contradictions and say, I don't believe in the Bible anymore. Amen. That's the thing we have to be careful of because we're not taking the full, whole gospel together. Let me give you two more verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Very important verse. Very important verse. For prophecy never came by the will of man. What that means is when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and all the other authors of the Bible wrote, have you ever been so... So, uh, what's the word? Pushed or motivated or compelled to do something that you just have to do. You just, you have to do it. That's how they wrote the Bible. They, they didn't want to write the, write the Bible. They were compelled. They literally, it's almost like they, they're like, I can't, I can't not write. And they're being led by the Holy Spirit. So it says, it never came by the will of man. But it, by the Holy Spirit, it says, But holy men of God spoke as they were moved in their feelings. What were they moved by? The Holy Spirit. Okay, they weren't, they weren't moved to write the Bible by what they felt. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Church, if you don't believe these words, we're in trouble. We have to take the full counsel, whole counsel, full gospel, and believe every single word. And the more you study it, and the more you look at it, the more you realize it's not a contradiction. And I want to say this one more time. If anybody doesn't agree, feel free to tell me, did we see any contradictions out of those six people over the five questions? None. We saw some different answers. But was there any that was just totally contradictory? No, not at all. It was what exactly, and, 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 and if we would had somebody, I wanted to do this, but I didn't want to take the time to do it, and I didn't want to take the chance that they might not have done it like they thought they would have, so I didn't want to put someone on, on blast. But some, I was almost going to have somebody take notes as I was writing those five questions and just then come up and give me a summary. 
And they would have been able to. They would have been able to do that because of what they heard. The last verse is this, 1 Peter 1.25. The word of the Lord endures forever. Now I could give a lot more verses. I, when I think of that, another verse pops in my mind. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Okay? But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Amen? Church, I want us to become studiers of the word. I want us to become people who know how to rightfully divide the word of truth. We've been going over this a lot in discipleship. When you don't know an answer to a question, when a question, how many know during this week you might have had a question, a question came? Maybe that question, does the Bible contradict itself? We need to be people who go in and get in our word and study the scriptures out and try to find an answer and, and try to figure out what the Bible says. That's why it says study to show yourself approved. Someone who's able to rightfully divide the word of truth. Listen, I look at social media. I watch TV. I, 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 I live in this world too. But I have to be careful that that doesn't take up all my time. I have to be careful that that doesn't pull me away from spending time with God. And I have to be, and not just as a pastor, I'm, I'm a pastor way after I'm a, just a child of God. I, yes, I'm held to a higher standard. Yes, I'm going to have to answer to God more than you that if you haven't answered that call. But the bottom line is we're all just people and we've got to study God's Word. If we don't, don't think that you're better than that worship leader. Don't think that you're better than that pastor of that church. Don't think, well, I'll never be me. It will be you if you don't read your word. It won't be you if you study the word. It won't be you if you, if you pray. It won't be you if you're watching. Like Casey said at prayer, that watching for that roaring lion and making sure he's not deceiving us and lying to us. But I, I don't want us to be that church that if the poll was given in here, we wouldn't know the Gospels. We wouldn't know the Ten Commandments. We wouldn't know how many books are in the Bible. We need to get to that place where we're not where we want to be, but we're not where I was last year either. And then you got to ask yourself at the end of the week, what did I spend time on? Have I been in my word? Have I been studying? Have I been really trying to understand? God understands our schedules. God understands that sometimes our minds just don't want to be on anything. That's a problem too. Because once they get idle, the idle mind is the devil's playground. And he'll come in and take you where you don't want to go. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I hope and pray that this example that you gave me really made sense to this church tonight. I pray it really helped us see how the Bible was written, how the gospels were written, and where people try to make those contradictions, Father. It's not a valid point. Because those four, those four gospels were written by four different men to four different people, yet at the, at the same time to everybody. And it helps us to understand culture. Thanks again for listening. If you want to hear more messages, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you like it, consider rating it and sharing it with your friends. For more content from VWO Denton, go to our website at vwotexas.com.